Good evening. Welcome into State of the Tigers, presented by James Carlton, State Farm Insurance. This is our weekly show here about the Missouri Tigers this time of year. It's basketball. Let's just say early, State of the Tigers, not great. We'll get to that. We'll talk with uh, Drew King in a minute. But uh, first, want to remind you, get in touch with James Carlton, carltoninsurance.net, on the phone at 314-961-4800. James wants to be your insurance agent. He's going to find you the best deal he can. He's got a full staff. You call during business hours. You're going to talk to a human being. Um, they're going to, I want to say they're going to be nice to you. They, they probably will. I mean, there's like a 99% chance, you know, you might catch somebody on a bad day. You'd be nice to them, talk them through it. Everybody, everything will be fine. But James is going to get you the best deal he can on your insurance. He's going to talk to you hopefully a little bit about Mizzou's NIL efforts. If you get, uh, if you mentioned Power Mizzou and uh, try to get a little bit of extra money into those coffers. So we will, uh, those Drew, I, I feel that we bring Drew King on now. And speaking of NIL money, Missouri is going to need to spend some in the offseason. Um, it is possible. I don't want to make too drastic of a statement. It is possible that in College Station on te Texas on Tuesday night, I saw the worst basketball game I've ever seen in person <laughs> on, the on the college level. Like I've seen... Mm -hmm. I've seen games of basketball that are worse. Like I went to youth basketball games and peewee hoops and stuff. But as far as a division one power five basketball game, that was as rough a watch as I can remember in a long time. Yeah. Um, looking at the stats here, uh, Texas A&M shot 36% on twos somehow. Like that sounds high to me. Um, and yeah. also 22% from three. Um, Mizzou was 52% on two pointers, but only 27% from three. Um, so yeah, like just a really ugly, like this is kind of what I thought it was going to be like every night playing in the SEC when I took this job. Um, <laughs> but I, I never thought it was going to be like, oh, nobody can score. Like even the easy yeah. ones weren't going in for Mizzou. Well, that night and to be fair this is texas a&m basketball i mean i i texted some people made texas with you at halftime and said they would be down 30 if the other team was not coached by buzz williams like this is how he wants to win basketball games like mm -hmm. that game i i once described you know like a 60 to 58 game as conzo martin's dream that game was buzz williams dream that's that's how he likes basketball games to be um it was nobody else's dream it was horrendous uh part of the reason texas a&m shot 36 percent from two-point ranges a lot of their misses didn't count because they just went to the foul line every single time yeah so you know uh 37 free throw attempts and you know i i thought it was pretty interesting after the game i was fully prepared by the way it's very weird to be standing in a small office while dennis gates and sean east are on a zoom and like you're there in real person but Everybody else is on the computer screen. Yeah. It's a very weird deal. Um, but I, I fully expected Dennis Gates to go into the, you know, they shot a million free throws and we didn't shoot any. And I thought it's really going to be too bad because I'm going to have to say he's like the boy who cried wolf because I think he had a legitimate complaint on Tuesday night. But it's just that he has complained about it so many other times that it kind of rings hollow. But then he didn't even really bring it up on Tuesday. Yeah, he he did bring it up on Tiger Talk last night when I when I was there at uh, uh for the show, but um, 
so I here's my question for you, Gabe. How much of that do you think is like within their control, right? Like, oh, wow. because they do get to the rim and they do, you know, make contact on defense, right? So like some of the fouls are very justified, yeah. but 37 is a lot. There, I, I thought. I did not think there were very many bad calls against Missouri. Like, I thought most of Missouri's fouls were actually fouls. My issue was probably a little more on the other end mm -hmm. where, look, if this many are getting called with A&M on offense, how is nothing getting called with Missouri on offense? I mean, because they were they were going in the paint. Tamar Bates was attacking the rim, and he just wasn't getting any calls. Um, mm -hmm. now I want to be clear, like it's hard because did free throws lose that game? Yes. Free throws lost that game. They got outscored 20 to six from the free throw line or 20, 27 to six or something like that in a game that they lost by six points. So yes, that lost it. I, I didn't think there were a ton of bad calls. I mean, there were a couple like Tamar Bates at the end of the first half, just a blocking foul that just made no sense. There was another one where, um, Wade Taylor had, had I think it was Taylor had, dived on the floor, picked up mm -hmm. a ball. He was in clear possession of the ball, and Nick Honor just dove on it. I mean, just yeah, it, it, it can't be anything but a foul. And so uh, there were some that were really bad in that game. Well, so the two that come to mind for me are that um, Jordan Butler got hit in the face twice and, and nothing right. was yeah. called either time. Like, he's literally, like, dripping blood. You the ref has to stop yeah. the game. No call on that end. So, um, yeah, like, I, I I do, like, totally understand where Dennis Gates is coming from when he says, like, I wish we could call our own fouls. But, like, at the same time, like... <laughs> Dennis would be the guy that you play with that, like, every time they miss a shot, they call a foul, and you look at him and just go, come on, dude. Like, you can't play here anymore with us. You're wrecking the game. Um, But... I find it interesting that like that's something that he's really been emphasizing with this team when the calls consistently haven't been there for him, right? And every game we hear we have to get to the free throw line. Um, yeah. And so like especially against a team like Texas A and M, you were never going to beat them at the free throw line. Like that was right. never and happening. Now, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, let me tell you also, and you really notice this in person. So the, the media seating at Reed Arena is down kind of, I mean, not completely courtside, but down lower level, much closer than we are in Columbia or most places for that matter. And I noticed it. And then I talked to somebody who covers Texas A&M who had a, a seat even closer to Missouri's bench. And he said, I don't think Gates quit talking to the refs the entire night. Like Missouri fans say that, you know, it, like he needs to work the refs more. They don't, no, he, there were timeouts. He did not talk to his team. He was talking to the officials. The whole day. He works the refs all night long. And I'm not saying it's too much, not enough, whatever. I'm just making the point for the people that say, well, Dennis needs to make a bigger deal out of this to get calls. No, that's absolutely not the case. He is talking to them all night long. Right. And when people say that, I think they mean they want him to get a technical foul. Right. They and want him I, to yell. Right. right. And and Dennis, I think, does a good job of because he does like he will get in the ref's face and argue about his calls. 
Um, but he also doesn't want to cross a line with them. And I, I think that's understandable, right? Because the tech is just going to hurt your team, right? It's not really going to – it's not going to have a Caleb Grill effect every night, I suppose. Right. You, you know what's not going to hurt your team? He should have just picked a player from Texas A&M and pushed him. Like that would have made a point. No technical for that. That's that's cool. He should have just done that in the middle of the game. <laughs> the precedent has been set. <laughs> it has been set. You cannot get it. I mean, seriously, I'm not I'm not obviously encouraging that a coach do this. But if a coach does that and gets a technical, I would throw an absolute fit. Mm-hmm. I would say nope. Nope, but you've already told me that's and a suspension. Coach. If the SEC yeah. like suspends him after the nope, can't do it. Yeah, or you get fined, you better call Nate Oates and say, Here, how much money you owe me. Yeah, um, so Booth and Tobacco brings up a good point, and I mentioned I've mentioned this before, and I, it was really noticeable on Tuesday. They get to the paint, they stop and look for somebody to throw it out to instead of going up. I don't understand, Drew. It's like this team is afraid of contact at the rim, just mm-hmm. go up. In a game like that, you're either going to score or you're going to the line. The chance that they block your shot and there's no foul called in a game that was being called like that is not very good. And it's not just Nick Honor. Sean East does it. Tamar Bates did it a lot. Like, once you go in there, just commit. You know, you don't have to reverse. You don't have to do a little baby hook. You don't have to contort yourself. Just go up and get hit. So I think that's one of the bigger differences between this year's team and last season's team, right? Because um, I think last season they had a different level of athleticism with the guys who were able to drive. Right. Like Kobe, you weren't going to like stand in his path. Uh, Demoy Hodge could get up above the rim. Um, DeAndre Golston even was, was pretty athletic. Mm -hmm. And so this specific team, like Nick honor, isn't ever going to dunk. I don't know that I've seen Sean East dunk before. I can't recall yeah, I a specific know, yeah. time, right? Um, Tamar Bates, Tamar is, can, but he, he can, but he, right, and he's he's not like you know Aiden Shaw soaring above the backboard, right? Um, e- even Noah Carter, right? Yeah, no, Noah Carter isn't like a super athletic guy either. Caleb Grill would be a guy who does that and and like barges in there, no holds barred, like. I don't care who's in my path. I'm going to jump over you. He That's the exact play he got hurt on, though, right? Because he got mm-hmm. hit hard and fell to the floor and hurt his wrist. So um, that's kind of something that I think they miss from last year's team is, is they don't have a guy who can really play uh, above the rim outside of Aiden Shaw. And yeah, Aiden Shaw and, doesn't really dribble. And played six minutes on Tuesday night because, again, we, we don't really know night to night that Jason Franken – says this team has no dogs. I mean, I think that's kind of fair. Like Sean East, maybe a little bit, Mm -hmm. but they just need, like, I don't want to say they're not tough because that's not what I mean. That's, that's insulting, but I I don't know. They need to mix it up a little bit more. So I, there's something missing. I I mean, of course there's something missing. They're eight and 11 and 0 and six. Yeah. Genius analysis here. That something is missing. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I was thinking about this, too, because I, I had my column out. I wrote about Tamar Bates and, and mm-hmm. just kind of his development throughout this season, playing for Mizzou and, and kind of the differences of how they're using him versus how he was used at Indiana. Um, but I, I, after I wrote it, I, I had this thought of, like, Tamar wasn't supposed to be this player for them, right? Like, they were counting on Nick Honor, 
and Noah Carter and, and probably Sean East too, but they were counting on those three guys to run the offense, right? And so when we talked to Tamar um, about like, hey, you know, 36 points in the game, what'd you see out there? He's like, well, I was just letting the game come to me. And you've talked before about like, why isn't he shooting more? The offense isn't designed for him to shoot more. He's just really taking advantage of the chances that he's had. Um, and so that's kind of what I think has been missing is that the guys that they were really counting on haven't always l- stepped up into their role. And how much of this, because there was a thread on our message board today. A lot of you guys watching may have read it. Drew and I obviously read it and responded to it. I can't remember who started it. Credit to whoever did. Um, made some good points. The The change in Nick Honor's role here, like, because Sean East is the point guard of this team, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he has the ball all the time. Yeah. And there are different types of point guards. And Sean East is an incredibly ball-dominant point guard. And we were talking in that thread, and you had some stats to back it up. The ball movement on this team is awful. Like, they they don't pass the ball well at all because a lot of times they just don't pass the ball. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. they dribble or it, it, it's honor and East and maybe Bates dribbling around the perimeter for the first 19 seconds of the shot clock until you don't really have any choice. You got to go. Yeah. They, it, the offense feels tight. And last year it felt very loose and free. And, and this year, like you said, like it's very stagnant. They, they kind of just pound the air out of the ball. Um, the stats that I brought up, Last season, Mizzou ranked 46th in the country with assists per field goals made, right? They had uh, 56.5% of their shots came off of assists. Um, And this year, they're down to 171. Um, I think it's dropped by like six percentage points. So Mm -hmm. it's been a real difference. Like it's a a quantifiable difference for this group. Is it as simple as... They don't have Kobe Brown to put at the elbow anymore, who is a guy who, when he gets the ball in the high post, like he could do so many different things that it just opened up the rest of the offense. It could be that. It's also like, I feel like last year's team had a had a few more shooters that you really had to worry yourself about, about yeah. De- Demoy Hodge specifically. Um, but like, you'll see when Jesus gets in there, um, you know, he'll catch it in the high post and, and turn and he'll wait on somebody to cut. And that doesn't always come natural for the guys that are out on the wing, right? They're kind of wanting to keep playing hot potato around the three-point line. So, um, yeah, I I definitely think that's something that is also missing with this team. So, and I wrote this, but I was watching that game on, and and we must have texted back back and forth three or four times during that game. Well, this is a weird lineup. And I'm going – well, I don't like this lineup. And then I look down on the bench and go, well, I don't know how he makes it better. I mean, it's just, it's six and one half dozen of the other. There's just not enough talent available. And I want to be clear as I was when I wrote it. Yes, Dennis Gates gets the blame for that. He's the one who recruited these players, picked these players, whatever. So I'm not saying that, you know, it's just, well, my players are bad. It's not my fault. It it is your fault because that's the job. But I don't think there's some easy like, well, if he'd just play this guy more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I think it also didn't help that uh, basically the entire team got into foul trouble. Um, 
I think five right. guys like had he was, four he was fouls. Going offense, right. Yeah, he was going offense defense with like 14 minutes left. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Gabe, we've criticized him before for this, but somehow Mabor Majak did not get into that game on Tuesday. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I was I was honestly stunned. And maybe he would have um, been the game changer, but – um, but uh, I, I'll also point out um, Gates said that Trent Pierce uh, got sick like as soon as they landed in College Station. Um, so he played one minute for them. I think they were hoping to get him in a little bit more. Um, but yeah, like, you know, the starting five was Sean, Jesus, Nick, Tamar, and Jordan. And then your reserves are Noah, Kurt, uh, Ant, Connor, and Aiden. Like I, I'm, I'm not sure who you were supposed to throw in there to right. help. Like changing help one of those off. for another yeah. one doesn't fix it. Um, and, and you know, Kurt, Kurt Lewis had some decent minutes, but I couldn't tell you why. Like, you know, right. he was one for three from the three point line and had a bunch of rebounds, and you know, sparked another turnaround for him, but. I, I don't know if he just gets lucky when he gets in the game, or if if he's making like a, a an unquant a qualitative difference i guess or an intangible yeah, one he just he he was on the floor for that kind of 8-0 run or whatever it was toward the end of the first half and like i don't remember he might have hit a three in that run i can't remember yeah he did like, he did okay okay so that makes sense um t rise says it wouldn't solve enough problems but do believe not having tanjay has been big yeah i mean look we we don't know right i mean they say Hey, that would have made a difference, or Caleb Grill would have made it, and maybe it would have. I, I, I don't know, but they're, they're not an option. So at this point, and and that can is it an excuse or a reason. I have no idea. But at this point, hey, they're not part of the rotation. So to me, like they weren't going to do anything on Tuesday night. Yeah, I mean, maybe they hit enough threes to to keep Mizzou in the game for a little bit longer. I think Grill specifically maybe would help on the boards because I, I think that's how I, I Texas A&M put the game away. has some of that toughness we're talking about mm-hmm. that I don't think they have right now, right? The dog in them, um, yeah. Yeah, like because other than maybe Sean East, I don't know who has that on this team. And that's okay. It's not everybody's personality. Right, because you were, you were asking last week, like, you know what player should have shoved Nate Oates back, right. and Caleb um, Grill for sure. Caleb Caleb Grill is the answer, and that's with or without the cast. Like even without the cast, he was. The <laughs> I think. Um, so Connor has well, a fair question. Just just to uh, go back to my my point about Kurt Lewis. Um, uh, one thing I did notice about him, he was the first guy to get to the free throw line for him, right? Yeah. Um, and did come up with an offensive rebound once Noah missed his free throws. So. Like he does have small moments like that, but again, not a big game changer, um, right. other than kind of in the plus minus for three minutes, not 13 minutes, right? Yeah, and a half. uh, so Connor brings up a good point. Understand Jesus is a good passer, but he forces it way too much. He had five turnovers, and Drew, like, literally, the second I posted, he's the best passer on this team, and not, and it's not close. Like, I think every other pass he threw the rest of the night either went to Texas A&M or a fan. I mean, it was stunningly bad. Like, just I, – I, I wasn't even sure what the what the intent was sometimes. 
I felt a little bit bad for Jesus because this was like his first like he's start. Trying to make something happen in a I while, yeah. Like as far as like you know, trying to alleviate a stagnant offense. Like he's a guy that's really genuinely trying. He had a good or, or decent couple of games. Start. Um yeah. yeah. Um, and then yeah, like he just kind of unraveled after those first couple of turnovers and and really became unplayable to in my opinion. And then. The craziest part was, I mean, it is obvious, and we've said this about Aiden Shaw this year too. He won't shoot. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't care where he is on the floor. He has a wide open three. He wasn't taking it. He has a, a short jumper. He was look, he he constantly was looking to pass. So it's much harder to pass when everybody knows you're not gonna shoot. But mm -hmm. then in I want to say it was about a six, five or six point game in the last two minutes. It was Missouri's last possession where they really had a chance to still make it interesting. Then the shot clock's at one and a half seconds. And he's the guy that has to, the guy who wouldn't shoot all night long is the guy who ends up with the ball and has to shoot. Predictably, it did not go in and, and the game was over at that point. Um, but I mean, you just, I, I don't see how, you can be in the lineup if you simply are not going to shoot the ball. I mean, Dennis has said, look, I'll pull guys for not shooting. And he he wasn't going to shoot at any he, he missed his first shot and did not take another one until the that last possession with like a minute left. And he did get pulled a couple of times for that. I noticed that Gates would bring him out of the game if he passed up those looks. And I think part of the reason that he's hesitant to to take the shot is is his release is pretty slow Gabe like it it takes a yeah. while for him to get it off um so even when he looks open he might not think that he's open because he knows like, that's a problem that, then. yeah um and it's it's interesting too because he's actually not the worst shooter on the team he's made 33 percent for the year um but yeah, I think just his his confidence in being able to get the shot off quickly enough that was kind of the issue with him against Texas A and it's it's been an issue all all season. Um, right. But yeah, like once once he decided I'm not shooting the ball, that's when you really started to see the turnovers come out because because um, you're playing like, four on five. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, Mike brings up a good point. We are shockingly bad at layups. Minimum of three times this year, like during games, I've said, what is Missouri shooting on layups? And it's like sub 50%. And I'm like, oh, I thought it was way worse than that. You know, <laughs> um, and we, it was, here's the frustrating part. You know, the moment these games turn, like when it happens, like mm -hmm. you and I are texting back and forth, Ant Robinson missed three, Ant Robinson layup, missed layup. Tamar Bates missed layup, like back-to-back -back possessions would have given Missouri the lead. And you kind of knew right then, yep, that's it. That's, that's, that's the one that's where you're going to look back and go, they really needed those baskets could have been up five, weren't up five. And it was kind of over at that point. Um, and they weren't guarded. It, this is, this is where I get into the argument of people who say he doesn't run an offense. It's coaching. When you have wide open shots and they don't go in, that's not bad coaching. Mm -hmm. 
it's the coach's job to put them in a position to get wide open shots. He cannot shoot. He can't shoot that layup for Tamar Bates. He can't shoot the layup for Anthony Robinson. That's just poor play. Yeah. Um, I made the Sisyphus comparison last week, and, and both of those moments were like, oh, if they make this, the, the, rock, the rock is finally going to get over the mountaintop, right? And instead, like, they lose their grip on it, and it goes right back down the hill. So, um, yeah, like, I, I don't remember which one it was specifically, but um, it was either the Tamar missed layup or the Ant missed layup. It was like they miss it, and immediately Wade Taylor hits a three on the other end. And that was the one that you were like, oh, it's that's really yeah. – they're not coming back from that. because, And they did, like, take the lead again after that. Mm -hmm. But it was such a momentum killer that you, you knew that they weren't going to sustain anything beyond that point. Right. And, and, again, like, this is where it's so hard to – assess like the job a coach is doing right because you're talking about hey you know that's not coaching that's execution and then the comeback from someone who wants to blame the coaches well he he picked the players so like ultimately there's nothing that's not the coach's fault in college right mm -hmm. because well he's the gm and he's the head coach so we're always going to and, and this is not a a blanket defense of of Dennis Gates. I've said the same thing about multiple coaches over time. Like all they can do is put the players in, in the right position. They can't make the play. And then the comeback is, well, but he picked the player. So it's his fault still. So, I mean, there's no answer to that. I, I, I don't know how to fight, how to argue that argument. I mean, there isn't really a defense other than like, there are some injuries, right? We don't know what we don't know, but right. yeah, I, I think, I, I I totally understand fans being upset with how the season's gone. It does ultimately fall back on Gates, but I also think that they have a point when the players are saying we're really close, right? Like we're, we're coming up just short in some of these games. Um, and I, I'm just not sure. Well, when like, you come up just short in everyone, does it matter? Exactly. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, I get it, but yeah. Um, Here's another point, though. Connor says they need to continue to run the zone defense. They were in Saturday, and that is a lost point. Like AM's not a great offensive team, but that one three one was effective. Um, that you know, and that again, that's that's like coaching. It, Dennis said right after the game, I thought the guys executed the game plan really well, and that is evident. They were what eleven and a half point underdog or something like that. Yeah, I think I think that was correct. You know, as they say, good team win, good teams win, great teams cover. So Missouri did excellent in that regard. Um, but the point is, they made it closer than most people thought it was going to be, and had a chance to win that game, largely because they did play a defense that A and M probably hasn't much seen this year. And, and Way Taylor was, he was just a guy in that game. Yeah. Um, uh, so I don't know that they're going to keep running that zone. Unfortunately, uh, I think that that was a little bit situational. Specific. Yeah. Uh, Texas A&M is one of the worst teams in the country at shooting threes. And, and there are more of those teams in the SEC. But, um, you know, we've we've seen Mizzou can give up a lot of three pointers, even when 
you know, they're guarding man to man. So I, I don't think that zone would necessarily help in those situations. Yeah. Uh, Marcus says, I, I want to see this team keep fighting and finishing, finish above 500. I mean, at this point, it takes a lot more than keep fighting to finish. So they're eight and 11. They would have to go, what, eight and four the rest of the way? Uh, correct. Yeah. That seems two out of three games. That seems the way. not likely to me. I think that they would be cool with just one out of three games the rest of the way. Right. I mean, at this point, you got to be cool with just one. And I'm not saying one and 17, but like find a way to get one. And then maybe yeah. once you find a way to get one, maybe you can turn that into two. And uh, they've then, they've hey, just got this huge. If you win another one, that's a winning streak. And believe it or not, that has happened around here before, to quote Lou Brown. They've just got this big monkey on their back right now. Like, it, and just no matter what they do, can't get it off. Um, and we mentioned last week, you know, the schedule's going to get a little easier here in the next couple of games. And, and you really need you thought. one out of three in these next ones. But, um, but yeah, like, it, it's just been frustrating because again like they're losing it the same way over in the same fashion over and over right because they're not getting blown out they look like they can compete and then they just keep coming up short and, and kind of unravel in the last couple of possessions and this is where the difference of like being a fan or being an outside observer like we are and being on the team really comes in because i look at this and i go i don't know one and 17, four and 14. I, like, I don't care. They're all the same. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, but it does matter to them. I mean, four yeah. and 14 is better than one and 17, you know, like for sure. Every game is important to, to me. Every single game is not important at this point. None of the games are important because whatever, to me, there's no real difference between eight and 24 and 12 and 20. But when you're playing the games, when you're on the staff, there is a difference. And and mm -hmm. so you do go into every game and it, it it's important. Yeah. And like, it, we forget that this team made the NCAA tournament last season. Right. So we know that, you know, Noah Carter, Nick Honor, Sean East, like these are good players. They're just kind of miscast in the wrong roles right now. Um, and, and so like, they're going to have a lot of pride, right. They want to close out their last season in college on, with a, a, a non horrible season, you know, like, right. like they are going to keep fighting. Um, but it's just a matter of like, what are they really capable of right now? And we forget that some people call it the great thing about college basketball. I find it a little ridiculous. Like theoretically, none of these games matter because Missouri will go into Nashville with a, theoretical chance to make the NCAA tournament. Now, look, nobody expects that, right? When you're the 13 seed or whatever, you're probably there for a reason. You're not going to win five games. But the point is, every team in the country goes into that week with a chance. So I said before they show, this is what we're going to finish by talking about. So let's talk about it. Is 0-18 possible for this team? It's a possibility, but... I wouldn't put it as like a likely possibility. Right. There's a lot of games left on the schedule. The, um, the chances are very low, but it, they are not non. They are non-zero. 
Yes, I would I would agree with that. I, I just think like eventually the ball is gonna bounce their way and they'll they'll have like some hot shooting night where they get just enough defensive stops to come out with the win. Um, well before Tuesday night, I would have said, you know what, you might just run into a night where the other team shoots 28% from the floor, and that's your night. <laughs> and then that happens and it's still not your night. <laughs> They do play Texas A&M again, so maybe maybe at home. Yeah, Yeah. maybe that'll be the one. But in all seriousness, you mentioned the next three games. So the next three games are at South Carolina, home against Arkansas, and at Vanderbilt. If if they haven't won at that point, then I think 0-18 is actually a possibility. Mm -hmm. Like if they lose at – it's weird because I know South Carolina just beat Kentucky at home, and I know South Carolina already beat Missouri. So – they're four and two in the league. They're not a terrible team by any means. Um, but like it's a winnable game. Arkansas is kind of the opposite of South Carolina. You'd look at them and go, well, they should be good, but they clearly are not good. Mm-hmm. So Arkansas at home, you Ole Miss just beat Arkansas by 25 points. You have to win that game. And then at Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt's like 115 spots below Missouri in the in Ken Palm. Like you yeah. have to. So I think honestly. I think they should go two and one in the next three. But if they go zero and three in these three, if they're sitting zero and nine, then I think zero and eighteen watch is a real thing. Yeah, like because it, it really doesn't get any easier than those three games. Um, mm-hmm. You play Arkansas again, but it's on the road, right? Um, you play Texas A&M again at home, but like, are they really going to shoot twenty eight percent from the field again? Probably not. Um, and then, like everybody else, is is kind of a team that you you have to take pretty seriously. Not that the next three aren't, but they're they're kind of a cut above what Mizzou's about to go up against, right? Um, Ole Miss yeah. and Tennessee, Florida they're teams again. that have tournament hopes at this point. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like if, if it's gonna happen, it has to be in these next three games, and and like. Not to say that it, it couldn't, but it, it would. This is the easiest spot to get it done. Right, because it also then becomes a thing where at that point, if you're sitting 0 9, like then it's going to kind of start to. It's really going to start to weigh on you, right? Like, mm-hmm. man, we got to get a win somewhere, and it gets harder with every loss. It's like, you know, if 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 you've got a hitting streak, like it's way better to get that hit in the first at bat because if you go up there 0 for three. Yeah. Man, then you know, like, hey, my my streak's on the line, and that that changes things. So, like, you got to get one before it really becomes kind of a, a story, and people start re- really following it. Um, let's uh, let's just kind of run through some questions. We'll start with the serious one. Would they benefit from doing their free throws underhanded? <laughs> I think some of them would. <laughs> I mean, you know what they they're not a terrible free throw shooting team, but they sure seem to miss some at big times. Yeah, um, I continue to think uh, Sean East would shoot 90% instead of 80% if he stopped wrapping the ball around his waist. I knew you were gonna, I knew you were gonna say it. <laughs> it's the best part of it, it, it might have been the best part of the game Tuesday night. When it looks so cool, it's, but it, it's literally the only thing I enjoyed that whole game. Don't take that from me. <laughs> Gay, they could have won if he just made his free throws. <laughs> no, because uh, again, free like, throws. Maybe he missed it because he didn't do it enough times. Maybe he should do it like three times. 
My issue is not per se Sean wrapping the ball around the world like that. It's that he doesn't reset his hands afterward. He goes straight up with the ball. As, and like again, he shoots 80%. Can't complain too much. But again, like tomorrow shooting 90%. Why can't Sean East? There's got to be something to that though. Cause if you notice, he also almost never catches and shoots. Like That's he takes true. a drip. He takes a drip. It's something in his game. I think that like the ball's got to be, I don't know. Uh, I, I think there's something to that. We should not investigate that because nobody cares, but um, <laughs> John wants to know what happened to Shaw. He shot last year. Wasn't great, but wasn't bad. It look, it's one of the big questions, right? Is uh, like one of the things you wanted to see for the future was that jump. And I think we've seen regression. And to me, I've said this for like three weeks. This is not breaking news. He just looks like like a guy who has no confidence. He he just looks like a guy who doesn't. I don't know if he doesn't trust himself. If he thinks he doesn't have the belief from the bit, I don't know. But he looks like a guy that plays offense with zero confidence. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. I I also just think like if you're a player who knows like I'm not a plus shooter. Um, it, it's tough to justify with yourself. Like me taking a three here is going to be the best shot for the team. Uh, even even well, when you're wide take open, take a three, take a twelve footer. Well, how often does he catch it twelve feet away? I don't know. Maybe we should try that. <laughs> what no? What they're doing is not working, Drew. I'm just trying to help here. <laughs> I I think it would help if he had enough of a handle where and and maybe a little bit more of a build so that when he catches it and there's nobody around he drives in right and and then supermans to the rim um because that's where i think the skill lies with him is, is just that he's able to jump over everybody but uh, like you, we said earlier in the show he kind of shies away from contact a little bit and it's because that they're playing him as a center um, when he's not really center-sized right now. And it's also pretty tough when, like, look, when he's gotten to the free throw line, it looks pretty bad. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, one for one for four that I remember, I'm sure there's probably been a little bit more than that, but but just recently. Um, what's likely to happen first, Mizzou basketball wins an SEC game or Mizzou football hires a defense? Great player? question. Excellent question, it Jason. It really is. Um, I, I don't know the right answer here. <laughs> well, see, I was hoping you would because I don't know nearly as much about the DC search. Okay, um, so so do we think Missouri wins on Saturday at South Carolina? Uh, I would. I I lean no. I think that South Carolina should be favored there. So if South Carolina wins that game, then that means does Missouri have a defensive coordinator by next Wednesday night when Arkansas comes to town? I, I'll go yes. So I say okay. the defensive coordinator happens first. Okay, uh, it, there we go. Look, if I if I just say every day today might be the day, then eventually I'm going to be right. Kind of like I think <laughs> I texted you. I'm picking Missouri to win every game. Like I'm just <laughs> I'm just going to pick them to win until they win. Oh, um, I mean, the club eventually I'm going to look really smart when I pick the 0 and 11 team to pull an upset, right? A, a broken clock is right twice a day. Ain't that the once same? A once yeah. a season. 
no doubt. Uh, let's see. Um, okay, so Kyle asks, is Grill definitely not going to try for the medical redshirt? And you said that, that Dennis talked about this a little bit earlier today. Yeah, so um, Dennis got asked about Caleb Grill. He said that they have to meet with the doctors again, double check to make sure he's going to be cleared to play. Um, he also said that Grill's going to have a little bit of a ramp up period because he's not in, in basketball shape at the moment, having missed about two months here. Um, so, yeah, um, but Gates did say he feels like a rough estimate would be two weeks. Um, and that would kind of put him at the Texas A&M home game February 7th, if that would if that's accurate. Right. We don't know that for sure. But it sounds like they're planning on Caleb Grill to come back at some point. There was a question earlier. I meant to post it, and, and I forgot, um, and I can't go back and find it now. But about uh, are we encouraged by Jordan Butler playing twenty four minutes? I, I thought, look, he wasn't great, but like I see a kid who's getting better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Gates had a quote talking about you know he didn't really know what to expect out of SEC play. And so they threw him out there against Georgia and just gets bullied, right? Did not have that good of a game against the Bulldogs. Um, but Dennis Gates said since then, he's understood the assignment, you know, like he knows you can't be pushed around in that fashion. And I thought we had, we saw like, okay, Jordan's starting to, it's starting to click with him a little bit more. Um, they said that he graded out as, as their highest or their best defender, um, I think it was the South Carolina first game or no, it was the Florida game. They, he, he had a really good defensive game in the, against Florida. Um, and so that's what earned him the start against Texas A&M. And, and yeah, like I, I thought that out of all the guys, he was probably their most impactful big when he was on the floor. I think the big thing with him is he can't get into foul trouble. That That's really a thing with all the freshmen. Like everybody wants them to play 30 minutes. I don't know that they would last 30 minutes. Um, so yeah, I, but yeah, right. um, uh, Jordan, I'm not for 30 minutes for Jordan. Here's what I'm for. He gets the start at center every game, the rest of the year, every yeah. single one. No, exception. because he's taller than Aiden Shaw. Um, he's more athletic than Connor Vanover. Um, he, I mean, he he's has really, three more years to play. He has three more years to play. Um, and he, he did a pretty good job on the boards against the Texas A&M team that's, like, number one in the nation. So, um, yeah. It's I, I, effort. It's effort and intensity. I see that out of him more than I do the other guys that play there. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, I think the biggest skill with him is probably going to be the rim protection, though, right? Because... He is seven foot. He can, he does jump a little bit. How often do you want him shooting threes? Yeah, he's made a couple. Like more often, I'm more comfortable with him taking them than Connor Vanover, maybe about equal to Noah Carter at this point. But no, it's not what you want him to do consistently. So he's four of 19 on the season. Seems um, he's better than that. I feel like I remember all four. He it's it's one more than Connor Vanover has made, so I I think you have uh, a good point on that front. <laughs> well, I try, man. I try. Um. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Boof and Tobacco. What what's the sales pitch to tomorrow to get him to stay next year? Let, now, look, let's let's preface this by saying 
we would never guarantee anybody's coming back. We understand mm-hmm. everybody can leave every year. Like, who knows who's back, not back. I think the sales pitch to tomorrow is real simple. Look, this system was good for you. You've had mm-hmm. a really good year. And I think people people make it too often completely about basketball. He goes out on the court with his family and his little girl after mm-hmm. every home game. Like, that yeah. that matters. Yeah. yeah, he's from Kansas City, grew up a couple of hours away. His dad is a is a, like a doctorate got a doctorate degree from Mizzou. Um, so I I think he was pretty um, intentional when he decided on Mizzou this offseason. Um, so, yeah, like the off-the-court factors are there. And then, like you said, on top of that, and, and what I wrote in my column today, like they're doing a really good job of developing him. He's doing – he has a lot more freedom here than he had at Indiana where he was mostly just a spot-up shooter. Um, and so I, I think that that's definitely the the pitch for him is like, hey, you're the guy next season. We'll build the roster around you because you kind of give us the best chance to win right now. Yeah. Uh, Cole Carter, what about Gates defensive history as a head coach suggests it will ever not be an issue? And you know what? I think it's a fair question. Like. He, I think, like we were joking at the beginning of the show, Buzz Williams wants to win every game 63 to 57. Mm -hmm. I think Dennis wants to win every game 85 to 80. And Mm -hmm. look, I'm I'm fine with that. You have a bigger margin for error when you're good on offense. I think the biggest issue with this team is not the defense. Like, I think you're not going to have great defensive teams under Dennis Gates. I think the biggest problem is that the offense is has regressed so much. Like mm-hmm. this defense is fine if the offense is what he wants it to be, but it isn't this year. Yeah. Um and, and I think that they're gonna kind of stick to the more chaotic scheme where they, they try to you know they gamble for turnovers. And they're not getting those this year, and that's the yeah. big problem. That's that's been the biggest red flag on defense is um, you know they don't have Demoy Hodge to break the steals record again, um, but yeah I think that um, you know to go back to my point earlier in the show like when he was at Florida State they had some athletes that could and and long wingspan guys who can who could uh, get into the passing lanes really easily. Um, this year's team doesn't really have that. So I think yeah. that that's going to need to be an adjustment for him. If if this is what it's going to look like, 85 to 80, yeah. being I the saw, goal. I saw that in 2017, <laughs> Missouri played Florida State in the first round. And you watch that Florida State team warm up and you're like, good God, they all look the same. They're they're all between 6'6 six, six and 7'1 and they're they, – they look like a track team, right? And <laughs> this Missouri team looks nothing like that. You know, and that that's so again, it's early. I, I get it, but I, I don't think this is I don't think this is the ro- type of roster we're gonna see. So do we have have we reached the point where I can just end this show with a quick rant, Drew? Um, yeah, with that? yeah I'm fine with that. Okay, of course. So Ted Danner says that this rivals Kim Anderson's teams. Now, Drew, you had the good fortune of not sitting through Kim Anderson's teams for three full years at Missouri. 
I had the bad fortune of sitting through them. And as I said on our board, and Ted, I do not mean to individually pick on you, but you made the comment, whether you're serious or not, you get the rant. If you believe that this team is Kim Anderson, Missouri level bad, you either don't understand basketball or you are emotionally venting to try to get a reaction. Um, look, like this team is not good. This is not a good season. This is in no way a defense of it. They are losing games by six points, by eight points. They are in these games with eight minutes left. They're losing because they miss a layup, because they miss the front end of a one-and-one, one, because they give up an open three on the last possession of regulation. I can't tell you how many games I watched in those three years that were 21 to five at the under 12 timeout. And they were over then. So I understand everybody hates a down year. I even, I don't understand anybody calling for a job, but I understand people who are at this point not convinced that Dennis Gates is going to be successful here. All fair. Put the, this is as bad as Kim Anderson stuff away. It may, if, if they go, if they win two more games, that's 10. Two, so how many do they have left? They got um, 12 regular season games in a tournament game. So if yeah. they go 2-11 and 11 the rest of the way, they are 10 and 22. Mm -hmm. That is the best record Kim Anderson had in three years at Missouri. They would have to finish with 20 losses in their last 23 games to be as bad as the best team from those three years. Ted, thank you for coming to my talk. I much appreciate it. Your point is invalid and incorrect, but we hope that you come back and watch the next time I just, we do a show. I just want to point out his name was Tad, not Ted. <laughs> well, thank you for coming to my Tad talk in that case. So, <laughs> sorry, Tad. Not an insult. I thought we were going to get a rant on court storming, but that's okay. We can, no, we can skip it. Okay, how about this? What are you going to do if Missouri storms the court when they beat Arkansas next Wednesday <laughs> to go 1-7 in SEC play? I'll have to write a whole nother column that night. Yeah, yeah. I will, uh, this is an I, will I will immediately get up and leave. I won't even go. <laughs> I, I, I disapprove. So, all right, guys, we've reached the point where we got nothing left. Um, other than to remind you that this show, as it is every week, brought to you by our, our friend James Carlton at State Farm Insurance in Webster Groves, Missouri. If you're in Missouri or Illinois, get in touch with James at carltoninsurance.net, 314-961-4800. He's on Facebook. You can follow him on Twitter um, as well. And uh, just get in touch with James. Ask him about your insurance rates. Uh, ask him about Mizzou's NIL programs, what you might be able to do on that front. He's got the answers to all of those questions. So get in touch with James. Uh, like, comment, share, subscribe, do all those things. And uh, we'll be back next week when Missouri hires a defensive coordinator, when Missouri wins an SEC game. Who knows? Whatever comes first. We'll talk to you then.